The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. to know the score i'm your host don delorente and i'm joined today by a very special guest it's been a while since we've had a chance to chop it up with her but it's renee from twitter how are you doing i'm good how are you I am doing very, very well. It's been such a long time since we've had a chance to talk, but with the NASCAR season kicking off this past Sunday, it's only fitting that I catch up with you to talk about what we saw on yesterday's Daytona 500. But before we get into it, catch the people up on uh, what you've been up to and where they can find you on Twitter and all the social medias. Um, basically, I'm Twitter until it breaks, basically. Uh, it's RB218. And for what's going on with me just working and life <laughs> just trying to make it all work yes yes i think a lot of people are are expressing that sentiment here in 2023 uh, as they say they're just trying to stay out the way and uh navigate through these waters but it's uh been a interesting off season for nascar as always, the sport always seems to, uh, you know, run 24-7 uh, from the time of the last race at Homestead up until uh, we get here to Daytona and this first uh, official weekend. Uh, so some of the storylines that happen along in the offseason, uh, Jimmy Johnson, he returns to NASCAR as an owner and part-time dr- driver with uh, the former Petty GMS team. They're now a Legacy Motor Club, I want to say. Is the name of the yes. team sounds like a yes. sounds like a motorhome lodge or something. But um, Jimmy Johnson, Richard Petty, only two seven uh, two of the living seven time champions, uh, forming up to try to uh, move Petty and GMS into the uh, you know current era of racing, and they've got a face now with Jimmy Johnson as he's going to be a part time driver in the eighty four car. So. He uh, got into the Daytona 500 on speed, and uh, so he didn't have to really sweat it out in the duels. So that was good for everybody in NASCAR, I'm sure, uh, to have Jimmy Johnson come back. Uh, Your thoughts about Jimmy returning as an owner, part-time driver after his stint in IndyCars? You could tell he was very happy to be back in the fin- in the fit with defenders. <laughs> he, I think, if he had gone to IndyCar. Uh, a little bit sooner he could have made it work but just it was at a stage in his career where he was so conditioned with stock cars he couldn't break certain habits to really get up to speed in IndyCar as for coming back to the 500 he he was great I mean he was in the mix to win until that I think 20 to go was the caution that took him out mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was right there. He had a legitimate shot of winning. Uh, probably the biggest move that was the, uh, you know, talk of all last last season was Kyle Busch. What was he going to do? Is he going to re-sign with Joe Gibbs racing or is he going to be a free agent and go to a different team? Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has always broke the news. Kyle Busch was going over to the eight car for Richard Childress racing. 
So Kyle Busch, the um, winningest driver in Toyota racing history, moves over to Chevy, and now RCR has the best driver they've had in their ranks since Dale Earnhardt, and uh, they are really excited about Richard Childress, uh, Kyle Busch and Richard Childress, and I think Kyle Busch is excited to be over there, too. I think everyone's excited for a fresh start on all sides sides of that equation, but I I contend that he's the best since Kevin Harvick. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I, I forgot Harvick. about Harvick. Yeah, Harvick, 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 Harvick was still so kind of coming up, and then right when he got really good, then he was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if it was the chicken or the egg on that because Childress didn't have great cars then either. Right, right. right. So, um, but I think. Toyota and Kyle, I think ideally they wanted to stay together, but sometimes relationships just run their course. It gets stale and you you have to move on. And I think that's what's going on here. I, it hasn't been, there's been some back and forth, but I don't think it's been contentious. I think it, it's, they're still trying to figure out how it didn't work. Well, I think Mars getting out of racing had a big deal to do with it. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, obviously. Um, you know, Joe Gibbs racing is a behemoth, but, you know, they ain't got that many millions of dollars where they can absorb mm-hmm. uh, M&M's leaving. Um as kind of, you know, as we saw with the way that they got their sponsorship structured this year where Interstate Batteries, who's been with them since the beginning, is going to sponsor each one of their cars for several races this year. Trying to yeah. up that, um, that void that Mars has left. So, you know, I, I just think the economics at some point comes down to it where it's like, Kyle, you know, if we still had our sponsorship and everything the way it was structured two years ago, if you would have came to this deal, we probably could have given you the money and the pay raise and, and you know, absorbed Mars leaving in a different way but since all of it kind of happened at the same time I just think they just couldn't figure out another resource to give him that extra money that they were going to need to pay him salary wise yes and I think if uh, allegedly there was a a deal on the table earlier in the season that was rejected and then the company as so many companies over the summer met with some financial headwinds and everything fell apart right i think knowing how the how the economy was going to go and how people it didn't necessarily tank but people started becoming more skittish Mm -hmm. and i think if people if if joe gibbs racing kyle everyone involved saw that coming they would have taken that that deal i think Honestly, they will have taken that deal and just gone forward. Right. But they didn't, and maybe it's for a reason, and that everything went down the way it did. But I do want to add, Joe Gibbs Racing is one of those teams that doesn't have a secondary income source, as you said. Hendrick has his car empire. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, even Brad Keselowski, he said he he built a business basically to back himself up when he went into ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like our um, Legacy Motor, they backed up by Marty Gallagher and his business and right. enterprises. Right. Um, um, who else is out there? 
I, I track house. Out there. I'm pretty sure track house. Track yeah, house. Well, entertainment tra- with marks and yeah, stuff. they track house has an entertainment arm. Um, Twenty three eleven is the closest to a traditional racing team that started up recently, but you do know in the background lingering you have Jordan, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is a special case, right? So it's the, as Denny Hamlin's been so vocal about even Jeff Gordon's been vocal about it recently the economics that NASCAR has been operating on for decades and decades, it's not going to work going forward. Yeah. The, the money to race the cars is getting so high and now the money to pay the drivers is starting to get very high as well and teams just most teams just can't take both of those on with with the lack of sponsorship that's in nascar right now because and they've never oh sorry i'm sorry okay they've never and they've never faced so many competitors to getting their sponsors now you or me on instagram could could potentially take away some of their sponsor dollars Mm. that never could happen before right right yeah, it's a different time. I think, um, you know, being involved with Michael Jordan and probably discussing how NBA finances work and how that collective bargaining and all that stuff works. I'm pretty sure Denny Hamlin, you know, speaking from last year and into this year as well, he's got a, a, a idea of how things could go to where everybody could be successful. and But NASCAR just doesn't seem to want to. Uh, involve the teams as much uh, with the money and the sharing of the money at this point. So uh, that's going to be a fight because the TV deals are coming up again and, uh, you know, they only go up. They don't go down. And um, so NASCAR is getting money that way, but they're going to have to try to be a little bit more fair uh, when it comes to these drivers and these teams, try to keep everything collective bargained and and where people can stay in the sport. You don't have... um, you know, sponsors dropping out and eventually teams having to fold up just because they don't have, like you said, secondary income to absorb uh, some type of, you know, downfall or hardship. Uh, with Cal Bush. And it's not, okay. it's, oh, sorry. And it's not something that's new. I mean, a championship team folded, what, less than two years after it won a championship because they just didn't have the money anymore. Right. That doesn't happen in the NBA or the NFL or anywhere else. Right, right. Uh, Tyler Reddick, uh, he debuts a year early in the 45 for 2311 racing with Kyle Busch moving to the eight. We kind of wondered what was going to happen with Tyler Reddick once he announced that he's going to sign with 2311. Would Richard Childress kind of keep him in the ride uh, throughout the year? Richard was like, no, you're going to sign. Go ahead and over there. Get get started. We don't need you over here anymore. You can go ahead and do your thing. And so uh, now Tyler Reddick is a part of the Toyota crew racing for that 45, taking over for Kurt Busch. Um, Ty Gibbs and Noah Gragson, they move up to the Cup Series. Ty Gibbs taking over Kyle Busch's old ride at Joe Gibbs Racing. And Noah Gragson, is he racing for Ganassi? Um, no, he is racing for... Is he racing for Petty and them too? It's, it, it's the... Legacy Motor. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I think it was either one of those two. So, yeah, so Ty Gibbs, Noah Gragson moving up to the Cup Series. Uh, a potential rivalry uh, from years down the road once to, these two guys get kind of their bearings and, and navigate the Cup Series. Um, you know, with the equipment he's in, we expect Ty Gibbs to 
probably see more success early on. But as the season goes on, I think Noah Gragson's talent will rise. And if Petty GM at Legacy, excuse me, Motorsports, you know, can get their program uh, kind of headed in the right direction, I think you'll start to see him show up in some top 10s and top 15s later in the season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I think, especially on the Ty Gibbs side, I think life dealt him a very big blow at the end of last year. So I think he's still trying to figure himself out while moving up, which I can't imagine what that's like for, what is he, 1920? Yeah. So, yeah. Not to admit, I mean, yeah, the end of the season last year for Ty Gibbs was very tumultuous with the moving out of Brandon Jones, his teammate, to win a race that he really necessarily didn't need to win to get into the chase, but not his teammate out. So that didn't um, garner any, you know, good feelings with him. Then, you know, he wins the race. And then, unfortunately, his father passes away uh, right after the race, uh, after they celebrate that night. Then all of a sudden, you're dealing with that. And then you're announced that you're going to take over Kyle Busch's ride. I mean, yeah, he's he's had a lot to kind of deal with um, in the last five to six months. And uh, I'm pretty sure getting back on that track was probably the best medicine he's had uh, in a long time. So we'll see how he does uh, coming into the season. And and if that level of aggression that we saw him display in Xfinity uh, is still there uh, in Cup once he starts kind of running towards the front and and getting some confidence about himself. Uh, I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's there. In the clash, it seems like he wanted to and they were pulling the reins on him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, heading into the Daytona 500, Alex Bowman, he won the pole. Kyle Larson, he qualified second. So once again, Hendrick Motorsports sweeps the qualifying session at Daytona. Uh, Joey Logano and Eric Amarola, they won their respective duels on Thursday. Um... I'm going to ask you this kind of off the topic. We're old school, traditional racing fans. We're so used to the buildup of the days on the 500 being 10 days, two weeks. You would go from the clash at Daytona. Then you would have the qualifying the next day, that Sunday, that pole winner would have a whole week to bask in the glory of sitting on the pole. You'd run those duels on a Thursday. And then, you know, everything would be set up from Thursday to Sunday. We're talking about Daytona, Daytona. Now that they've kind of done this clash at the uh, Coliseum, they've cut speed weeks down to, you know, one week. The qualifying happened in the middle of the week on like a Tuesday. It just seemed like this race snuck up on so many people this year. It didn't have that normal, you know, hey, yeah, we know the Super Bowl's up, but hey, Daytona's coming up too because such and such just won the poll yesterday, the day before the Super Bowl. And they've had all week to kind of be interviewed and go on the TV shows and do stuff. Uh, do you feel that maybe NASCAR um, is maybe losing something by not having that full two weeks at Daytona like they used to do? There's something to not having the whole week. I, just to condense media day and qualifying on the same day, I think you could spread that out a little more, maybe get them practicing before the duels mm-hmm. I I know where they're coming from because hotel travel all of that is so expensive and that's what they're trying to cut but the marketer in me 
says start Tuesday. You're not going to want to bump against the Super Bowl. What's really doing this is they used to be right after the Super Bowl, and now the Super Bowl cuts where where poll day used to be. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you're going to get any sort of traction on that Sunday anymore. Yeah, that's so, all I'm saying. Maybe you can do it on that Saturday. Maybe, yeah, I was about to say, maybe do the poll run on Saturday. I, maybe even push maybe the ARCA race to that Saturday. Do the poll run and ARCA on the Saturday before the Super Bowl, perhaps, mm-hmm. and practice practice them on Wednesday and send them out for the basically keep the rest of the week the way it is. Mm-hmm. But especially since you're coming back, even the NFL has its preseason mm-hmm. and just gets in and they don't go straight into it. They have a month of ramping up. You have the hall of fame game. You have the preseason games. Every, um, even before that you get the press from people returning to the camp. Mm-hmm. It's, they don't throw you back into essentially what is their main content. They build you back up. They get your attention. Like, Hey, remember we're over here. We're coming back. Mm-hmm. Even though all sports are now a 365 business, they still have their ebbs and flows and they generate their peaks. They know how to generate their peaks when they come. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think uh, back in the day, you know, they would have that that two weeks in January where they would go down and practice and that would get, you know, a bunch of press. Um, and then, you know, kind of get everybody used to seeing the cars going around Daytona. And then they'd have the clash a couple of weeks later. And then they'd have the post. I mean, you know, like you said, they ramped you back into the season, not just kind of dump it in your lap and like, oh, we got all this ready made for TV stuff. Um, yeah, perhaps they're, yeah, perhaps maybe they're um, better served by moving their media weeks to January. You, you don't especially with this car, you don't need the expensive testing like you used to, but um, maybe you are better served by a big media weeks in Jan- in January. The drivers probably wouldn't be happy with that because their off season so short, but you've got to do something different. It really snuck up. I don't know if it was just me and how busy I've been in life, but it just seems like the race this year really snuck up on me. Right, right. So we'll get to the race, Daytona 500, taking place once again down in Daytona Beach, Florida. Stage one, um, rather, rather tame. Uh, we have one incident where Bubba Wallace got into the wall after a bump draft from Martin Truex Jr. Uh, scraped it pretty hard, did some damage to the rear suspension, uh, lost the lap when he had to pit. Uh, under the green flag, uh, Bubba had kind of started mid-pack, and him and Shurex Jr. started side by side. And they kind of worked their way through the field, got up to the front, and uh, Bubba was starting to show a little muscle. Uh, but just a bad bump draft uh, kind of ruined his chances from that point on. Uh, stage one goes green with no cautions, and Brad Keselowski makes a move with two laps to go to win that particular stage. Um, the Fords looked very good in that first stage. They had good organization. Uh, they seemed to be able to really push each other. I don't know, uh, just with the, when they started putting the characters in the front of these cars, the Fords seemed to have the most equal nose out of everybody. Seemed like they can push everybody equally well. Um, 
if you go to the right spot on the track. But uh, your thoughts on just the first stage uh, and especially uh, seeing Bubba's chances kind of get taken away from him 30 laps into the 500. Yeah, that, that was not fun. But the, the irony of that incident is it reminded me of the clash because if you, if you get a chance to go back and look at it, the 11 into the 19 is what puts the 23 in the wall. Mm-hmm. And at the clash, the 19 into the 23 is what took the 11 out <laughs> at the clash. <laughs> so that was kind of like, oh, that's it. In a lot of these incidents were it it started just like the clash two or three cars back mm-hmm. and they just accordion together and all mayhem broke loose but yeah i didn't expect the first stage to have much much action i remember talladega last year mm-hmm. they know how to to race cleanly mm-hmm. <laughs> cleanly it's just it, it wasn't time yet. And all of them knew that it's a really long race, especially for a plate race. Right. And I, I think, but what we did learn, well, more, more or less in stage two, but with that, in, with the incident between the 19 and 23 is bump drafting in the corner is still bad. Yes. Always <laughs> a bad we, we learned that. And I can't recall, maybe you remember, um, didn't they have a rule that you couldn't hit in the corner at one point they because it was causing all the wrecks? They used to. I know they have that in Xfinity because you can't stay connected. But for some no, you long, can't walk bumpers at all. Yeah. So um, yeah, they try to curb it, but I mean, you know, once guys get out there and, and like you said, with this car, the accordion effect is so much greater than the other car because these cars are much more stable. So a lot of times, that car who actually gets bumped necessarily doesn't spin out. He just gets loose and 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 actually corrects it like Bubba did. But the two or three cars behind them have no chance, and they usually are the ones who do end up wrecking. Uh, so. We start stage two with Kyle Busch getting a speeding penalty during the green flat pit stops. Uh, we have our first caution for accident when Kevin Harvick bumped Tyler Reddick in the corner. Um, caused a you know a small wreck where we had Eric Jones, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and Daniel Suarez get involved. Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, they got knocked out. Uh, so their days were done. Two of the favorites. Blaney did not. Oh, Blaney. Oh, yeah, that, not at that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did continue. No, 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 no. Blaney amazingly finished in the top 10. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. They were all involved. Chase Elliott and Eric Jones for sure got knocked out, though. Yes. Um, Ross Chastain beats Eric, uh, beats, excuse me, Alex Bowman to the flag to win stage two. Uh, very impressive plate racing display by Ross Chastain to get the lead and then hold him off, working both sides of the of the uh, draft uh, to secure that win in stage two. Um, so what did you think about stage two? Uh, we had our first incident, took out Chase, uh, who was uh, in the mix up in the front most of the time that he was running. Uh, just your thoughts on stage two. Stage two was more typical plate racing to me. Um, as a friend, another friend of mine who was watching the race commented, it was like, okay, they're they're making the roof for the wreck. They're just not there yet. <laughs> and it t- towards towards the end, they they made the wreck happen. And again, bump drafting in the corner. And on, I remember something that Harvick radioed to his crew chief after that incident, and he said that the Chevys and the Toyotas don't take bumps well. 
he right after that wreck, he came on on, on the radio and said, I, "They don't can't figure out why, but they they're not." He said over the radio, "They're not taking the bumps like the fours are." So I don't know how their their rear fascia is set up, but for some reason they slide. That then maybe they're a little more curved. I haven't looked at them closely, but perhaps they're a little more curved than the Ford back because it was starting to be noticed that, and also you're probably going to get to it in stage three when Denny was up front and he was being pushed by, I want to say it was LaJoy. Mm. You could see how he slid from side to side when he would get bumped. So maybe it is a car construction thing on that. Uh, for traditionally, but has always held Ford down on the restrictive plate tracks is for some reason, their cars always have a lot of downforce. And I just think that that probably is still the case where they just have a little bit more rear downforce in their cars. And so, you know, they have less likely to get unstable uh, when people come up behind them. Um, That used to be always their complaint. It was like, we're creating too much downforce that is causing too much drag and our cars are slower. We can't, we can't really draft as well because we're, you know, I'm saying we've got too, too much downforce. We're taking our speed away. But when you're going to be bumping this hard the way that they were, that probably helps them be more stable in those situations. Yeah, well, and we'll probably get to this in the season preview, but the numbers, they say, back up that assertion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stage three. Ross Chastain gets a speeding penalty during the stage break pit stop, so uh, he has to give up the lead. We get our second caution for incident when Ryan Priest causes a stack up after getting shuffled out of the draft. Kevin Harvard, Briscoe, Truex, Michael McDowell also were involved in this wreck, so Stuart Haas Racing basically got wiped out in one wreck right here. Um, this was a just a you know typical like you said accordion thing priests get shuffled out guys are trying to go around them and uh you know somebody bumps into somebody and there we go we go spinning so um i think that happened with what about 20 laps to go or so i yeah i want i want to say it was right after the pit stop and they cut that last one in about their last run in about half. So yeah, I would say 2022 to go because I remember the eight was came off. They were one of the ones that pitted last. Mm -hmm. And I I said, this is going to be really good for the eight if they don't wreck behind them. And, and about the time I said that they wreck behind them. Um, after the restart with Kyle Busch leading the Daytona 500 coming down within the last five laps, we get our third caution for accident as Daniel Spo- Suarez spins with three laps to go. So that means overtime. So uh, we have the choose rule in the, in the super speedway races this year. Uh, for, I think for all tracks except for the road courses this year, the choose rule is going to be in effect. One of the rules changes uh, for this season. And uh, Dylan chose the uh, the outside or the inside. Kyle Busch chose the outside for the restart. The basically they did the teammate restart where. Bush gets in front, pulls down in front of Austin Dillon, and now they're pushing each other to go for the win at Daytona. But there's a bug in the ointment 
as we get a fourth caution when Austin Dillon gets spun, and this is the big one. We got Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Austin Centric, Harrison Burton, Jimmy Johnson, David Gillian, uh, Noah Gregson, Ross Chastain, Riley Hurt, Zane Smith, and a few more other uh, guys get caught up in this one. So, Kyle Busch uh, is in big trouble now because we got to have another restart. Uh, but during that particular incident, Ricky Stenthouse, he made a bold move just before the caution to take the lead right before him and Kyle Larson uh, came up on the outside and, and made some tremendous moves to get to the lead right when the caution light came on. So we start the second overtime with Stenthouse out front. He takes the white flag. And a fifth caution for incident ends the race. And Ricky Stenthouse Jr. is the 2023 winner of the Daytona 500. Yeah. I, in a note on Stenthouse's win, that means that Brad Doherty is now the first black car owner to win the Daytona 500. That's pretty significant. Yes, so good for them. Yes, very good. Unfortunately, he couldn't be at the track because he just had eye surgery. Of course, right? Yes, but um, he gets to wear that feather in his cap, and I saw some people joking like he beat Michael Jordan to it. So, (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Yeah, that last, the second overtime incident was another bumps in the corner are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was the 10 into the 67, I believe, is what that incident was. And yeah, I I kind of hate that big ones are now a feature of the plate race instead of a bug. Right. Because I would have really loved to have seen that one Come down. go all the way around. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, what um, I was telling somebody. I was like, hopefully if they do wreck again coming to the uh, white, that they don't just end it. They'll actually let them come back around. But No, with the wreck that that was that big and people took some hard hits. I remember, like, I remember reading on there, it's like, yeah, we're really happy for Stenhouse, but we need some updates on these drivers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But thankfully, everyone checked out from the in- infield care center okay, but yeah, it's always kind of, unless it's your guy who's winning, it's kind of always a little anticlimactic to have that last lap end in the, the caution and the checker coming out that slow ride around to the, you know, to cross the line. You'd much rather see that battle coming down through the tri-oval of who's going to, who's going to win it. But, um, yeah, or with, or with the Xfinity series on Saturday, they have to stop the top three cars on, on the track because they don't know who won yet. Right. Right. Um, Ricky Stenthouse though, uh, one of these guys who, is a very good plate racer. Usually he is the guy who causes the wreck, but this year he took a little different approach uh, than he normally does. He wasn't up in the mix as much as he is caught making things happen. He waited to the right time where other people cause things to happen. And he just, you know, raised his aggression level at the right time and got to lead for the uh, overtime and, and, you know, got to lead out front. And, and when they started wrecking, he was the one in the lead. So, Uh, congrats to him you know sometimes the guys who are the most aggressive like that was jimmy johnson for a long time super aggressive on the plate tracks with wreck every time the one year he decided you know what i'm gonna lay back a little bit and kind of dial my aggression back to the end 
he won the Daytona 500 for the first time. So um, it was almost Keselowski this year. Yeah, someone who is notoriously aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that RFK showed very good in this. Uh, Brad and Busher dominated uh, that third stage uh, in the middle there when they got him up against the wall and everybody was just following him. Uh, it was and it became a numbers play. Right. There were just simply more Chevys up front at the end that could push push them by. Right. If this were but 10, 12 years ago where two cars in tandem could really make a difference, they wouldn't have wouldn't have been beaten. Right. Right. Yeah, just for the fact that they could stick to each other and 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 generate the bumps and the and the energies that they needed. Um the top ten played out like this. Ricky Stenhouse as your winner, Joel Logano second, Christopher Bell third, Chris Busher fourth, Alex Bowman fifth, AJ Allmendinger sixth, Daniel Suarez seventh, Ryan Blaney eighth, Ross Chastain ninth, and Riley Herbst in tenth. So good run for Riley Herbst. Uh, you know, one of those guys who just stay clean all day. You don't necessarily at this race, you don't necessarily have to be in the front all day to get a top ten. Travis Pastrana, if he could have got to that wreck, he probably would have made the top 10 in this race. But he didn't get to that last wreck. Uh, but he had a very impressive day just staying out of trouble. Uh, Connor Daly as well, just kind of riding around, staying out of trouble. I thought uh, Ty Gibbs had a really good day. He spent a lot of his days stuck to the back of Jimmy Johnson, and that was pretty smart. <laughs> he was stuck either. He was – every time I looked up, Ty Gibbs was behind Jimmy Johnson – Denny Hamlin or Martin Truex Jr. Yeah. Each time I looked up, that's where he was. I was like, that is very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Very smart. Very, very smart. So Daytona kicks off the NASCAR season. It is a season unto itself. It is the biggest race and it's nothing like what we're going to see for the majority of the season. So now that brings us to the season preview part of this episode. Last year, it was Joey Logano walking off in Miami Homestead with the big trophy as he was. You mean Phoenix? Uh, uh, Phoenix, yes. They they keep changing the venue on me. Uh, You know what? In two more years, it's going to be Atlanta. I really think they'll bring it back. I think they're going to bring it back because the the race is going to be so good now. It's basically Daytona, but safer. I, uh, okay. That's my (laughs) thing. I don't know if you want a full plate track. I mean, it's not a it's not a super speedway per se, but it's racing like that now. But I, yeah, if you get another couple of Georgia summers on it, it probably will will get where they want it. I think I think it's where they want it. I think they want it to be oh. that. I think they want it to be a mini restrictor plate race, like a, a, oh. a unrestricted restrictor plate race. Basically, is what it is. I haven't considered that, but I I have to sit with that i don't know i don't know if i'm good with that i'm already hesitant about one race deciding it all i don't know if i want one like that being it either because you gotta you gotta consider right the whole deal was the atlanta the the drivers love the track because it's always got character you can run here there everywhere but the fans started not to like it because you know you just wait for a restart 
You know, they race together for six laps and then all of a sudden tires go away, people get strung out, and then you're just waiting for a restart to see some, you know, consistent side-by-side action. I think they built this track intentionally to be like, we want every lap of this race to be side-by-side. So you will, you will never say that an Atlanta race is boring. That won't be the, the end result of any other Atlanta race now. I, I, I'm going to have to watch it more carefully this year. Um, as I said, I didn't really watch, a, couldn't really watch a lot last year for personal reasons. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I've got to say with that because it makes sense, but I don't know if it's going to age into that. It, it might just go more back towards being a homestead like track and they got away from that. I think so, with the aggressiveness of the banking and the way that they shortened up the track itself, they basically created a mini Daytona, Talladega. It, I, it would make sense. Yeah. So uh, we're heading into uh, the meat of the season next week at Fontana. It's going to be the last race at the big configuration, the big two-mile oval in California as in 2025. Uh, there's going to be something different. They don't know what it's going to be yet. They don't know if it's going to be Martinsville or Bristol or New Hampshire, but they're going to try to bring like a short track. They're going to reconfigure a short track inside the big track, and that's what they're going to try to move forward with with California because people are thinking that now California's races have gotten boring and stale. Um, your thoughts on that? The thing is, they made those decisions before the new car came out, and this car races so well on intermediates that it, they're almost stuck because the, the car doesn't race as well on short tracks right now, and that's yet to be seen if their changes will will work there. Mm-hmm. But it, if California is what it was last year, which was a very good race, and the short tracks are a little lackluster or not significantly better than they were last year on the whole, I do they change their plans? I mean, I know they're full. Uh, they have to figure out what to do. And they'll probably be the change to the car. They don't want to do that because they've already sunk a lot of money into it. Mm. But they, they're they paying themselves into a box by how, by not having their packages set yet for the short tracks and spending all of this money to make a short track. Right, right. Um, the street race is going to be a street race in Chicago added to the uh, schedule this year a lot of unknowns there um, <laughs> we've never seen these cars on the street before so um, just how do they fit how do they turn how do they you know I mean there's going to be a that's going to be a spectacle that whole weekend everything about that is probably going to be like must see uh, when it comes to that Chicago race. Um, we've cut out a couple of the road tracks. Uh, Coda is no longer uh, one of the tracks uh, in this in the schedule this year. So just all in all, um, how do you feel about the way that they kind of tweaked the schedule this year? Last year, you know, we introduced so many road courses and short tracks. This year, they kind of cut out some of the road courses. Do you think the schedule kind of shapes up better than last year's? 
I like the schedule for the most part. It's got a good mix of short, intermediate road and a couple of kind of specialty races. I'm interested to see how they do North, how North Wilkesboro goes for the all-star race. Um, it, I, the only change I hope I've heard it bantered about, and I hope they actually do it is I want to see the brickyard put back on the oval. Yeah. I know it can get a little drawn out, but the brickyard, it's not the brickyard when it's not on the oval. It's, I mean, that road course is very nice, but for IndyCar when they come or when F1 used to come, obviously F1 is a road course only series, but for IndyCar, they did both. Mm. And obviously the oval is the jewel. And if you're only going there, going to Indianapolis Motor Speedway once, it needs to be on the oval. Yeah, I agree with that totally. And now, if you want to add a second race later in the chase or something, and you go back to Indy for the road course, you know that's viable. I understand that, but yeah, I'm like you. Uh, keep that I, thing on the oval is such a you know it, that's an iconic place to win on that oval for a NASCAR. Track. It, it raced the the new car raced so well on intermediates. I'm almost like, do you need the Charlotte Roval? anymore but i but i'm okay with that roval being there so because you have the 600 earlier in the year right right um so now when it comes down to uh the season uh who do you see getting multiple wins we've got stenthouse he's got the first one uh but who do you see this year racking up multiple wins i you won't go wrong picking a hit um one of the the Hendrick drivers, particularly Elliott and Larson, to have multiple wins. Um, Logano. Hmm. I I expect Truex to bounce back. I mean, he could have had four or five and somehow ended up with none. Same for Blaney. So there's just so many people who could do it. And judging off of the clash, the Toyotas look miles better than they did coming out of the gate last year. Um, so if you're going with the Toyota, I mean, ride the hot hand, Christopher Bell. So he. Yeah, I think uh, the chase, the playoffs did more for him, him and Ross Chastain, uh, as far as becoming stars in this sport. But uh, Christopher Bell winning those three elimination races in a row to qualify for the, uh, the, the final four, I think his stock is really, really high. Uh, coming into uh, this season, and he's the youngest gun over there, in, besides Ty Gibbs, but the youngest gun with experience in uh, Joe Gibbs racing. So it's basically set up for him to kind of take that over, head into the next two or three years before Ty Gibbs kind of gets his you know footing underneath him, and he's going to be the guy for Joe Gibbs racing. And uh, I think last year just, kind of just gave him the confidence to realize, like, yeah, I can do it. I belong. And now he, like you said, he might take off and win six or seven races. Yeah. I, relatively soon, he's going to be the guy over there because we're in probably what would be the last chapters of Truex and Hamlin's careers. Yeah. They've both been around right. about 12 years at this point. So I, I think Denny's going to try to run at that title at least two more times to try to this year and next year to try to get the championship. And then I think if it doesn't happen or if it does happen, he's going to walk away. He, he says his stated goal is 60 wins. 
he didn't even he says he's he's chasing the championship but his stated goal is 60 wins okay so uh, we'll we'll see what happens there i i think he's I think he's made some semblance of peace of if I get the championship, I do. If And if I don't, it's not the end of the world. It's, it, I've had a great career. Right. Uh, do you think... But, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. I was going to ask you about Trackhouse. Do you think that they uh, can repeat what they did last year? They burst onto the scene with Ross and Dan Suarez, won three races, got two drivers in the chase. I don't know if they can repeat that level necessarily, but I don't think they're going to fall off of a cliff either. I think it's once you have once you when you have such a big jump, it's hard to replicate that jump and or maintain it. You just have a little bit more ebb and flow unless you're established for 20, 30 years like Hendrick. And even they have times where they recede a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I don't think outside of Chase last year, I don't think Hendrick was very happy with their 2022. Right. Right. Yeah. So had a big regression last year uh, compared to the year before Alex Bowman, unfortunately got hurt. So he missed a big chunk of the last part of the season. Uh, And Byron was hot early and then he disappeared in the middle of the season. Right. So. Um, 2311. They're coming off a couple of wins last year. Kurt Busch and uh, Bubba Wallace both won at uh, Kansas. Um, they've added Tyler Reddick this year uh, to that program. Uh, what do you see for 2311? Uh, this is the year that legitimizes them where they get maybe four wins to a piece from Bubba and Reddick uh, as a company and kind of, you know, solidify them as a championship contender this year. I think four is lofty. I would say more two or three would, would be about where they they would be. It all depends on Toyota making a jump in the road course department because I don't think they would be mad at me and saying they were awful as a manufacturer on road courses last year. And that hurt them in a lot of spaces. You give them just five, 10 points here or there and you get Truex into the playoffs. You get in all those things, but for 2311 specifically, maintaining the level they were at last year, when they, I'm going to go with just the um, Bubba specifically because Ty was just kind of filling in, learning the ropes of ropes of Cup, filling in for Kurt Busch. Right. They were they were competitive everywhere towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I I could look up no no later than the second stage and see Bubba in the top 10. And maybe things would happen, um, like Martinsville, he got to the top five, and then everything that happened at the end of that race happened. So... Um, he had a good car at 600. Yeah, and right. Got yeah, right. Indication about keeping the minimum speed and basically got disqualified. That was a race he probably could have won. Exactly. And um, they've made changes with their pit crew. They hope to just be more level. They don't want necessarily blazing speed. They just want to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And that will help them out tremendously. It, they, For the first, let's say, third to half of the season for them, it's maintained the level they were at at the end of last year. Because mm-hmm. at that level, they may be able to sneak a win here 
a win or two out and then try to get to that, hit that next step. Well, I would expect for them to be in play big time next, not at California, but Vegas. Because if you remember, uh, Bubba won the first days at Vegas, had a bad pit stop, got back in the back, was coming back up through the field, and him and Kyle Larson got into it. And, of course, he, you know, did what he did afterwards and got suspended for that one race. But Vegas and Kansas were the two tracks that 2311 came off the truck and just was like, they fast and they got good cars and it showed up in the race. So I would expect even, yeah, even Nemechek in that Nemechek and reserve role at the end of last year when they unloaded at Homestead. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even ruling out California. (laughs) It's a little flatter, which makes, but they were great at the clash. So maybe even California. Maybe we don't even have to wait for Vegas in right. what's which race after Vegas. I'm sorry. I think uh, it's the West Coast swing. So it's Phoenix and then yeah. Vegas, I think, or Vegas okay, and then Phoenix. Phoenix. And Something like yeah, that. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm interested again to see how 2311 and the Toyotas do Phoenix because they all got knocked off of their off, off kilter with, with what happened with Coy Gibbs yeah. at Phoenix last last year. And I, I think only Christopher Bell had enough distance because even with um even with Bubba, he came up through the JGR system. Mm-hmm. So it probably everyone was affected that day. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna show you see how they run at Phoenix as well. Uh Pinsky, they were the the guys who got to hold the trophy up last year, Joey Logano, uh rising to the occasion. But I think that they thought this was probably going to be Ryan Blaney's year. And just for whatever reason, he just could not get the finishes that he was supposed to to get. I, I know earlier you said you expected Ryan Blaney to kind of bounce back. I've been on Blaney for the past couple of years as winning the championship. And I think maybe last year might have been just a – the little bit of motivation he needed for this year to kind of get over the top and, and kind of finish. They just don't end the season well. Like, they start pretty good. They lull in the middle. They bounce back in the summer. And then they get in the chase, and they kind of lull again. I just don't understand it with them in the chase. I Last year was surprising to me because I want to say it was the, the season prior, the season prior to that with Blaney in the 12th that, they were kind of in mid-pack, mid-pack, mid-pack. And then the playoffs happened. And I don't know if they were in it, that particular playoffs, but they were lights out the last 10 races of that season. I was like, oh, well, this is great. I, last year, they started off off really fast. I'm like, oh, this bodes well for him because he usually finishes so strong. And he wasn't bad. He was just... He was just seventh. He had basically a Matt Kenseth season, right. but in the playoffs here. Right. And but, but when I I looked at the standings, he was very close to doing what was thought to be impossible. Hmm. He nearly made the championship race with no wins, and he was running well enough to win the championship race. He was he played good soldier at the very end, you know, kind of blocking for Logano. So uh, he is the one who kind of gets used up in the in the teammate thing a little more than the others. So I think about last year in the 500 and 
the he appeared to have stronger car than Logano at certain points at the end of last year, but you know, don't mess with don't mess with your teammate. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him have at least a couple and have a good shot at, at the championship because he certainly seems to be one of those people who is the future of his manufacturer as well. Right. Um, bounce over to Hendrick, super team, uh, Chase Elliott, uh, multiple wins last year, but everybody else pretty down, especially Kyle Larson after having that uh, championship winning season of the year before before winning, I think, seven races he won uh, in his championship year. Um, Alex Bowman's got a new contract, so he doesn't have to race uh, for his career necessarily uh, this upcoming season, so I'm pretty sure that puts his mind at ease. But William Byron may be kind of the guy that they're looking at maybe with that microscope this season to kind of see what his performance uh, does. What do you see for the season for Byron? He's kind of a question mark in uh, Hendrick right now. I... I can't put my finger on it. I, he, I mean, he's one of those, like, one of those races who came up who has all the fanfare saying, like a Christopher Bell, like, well, wait till he gets to going, wait till he gets to going. He, I, if memory serves, he came in just before Bell, correct? Yep. One yeah. Season before. And, yeah. And, we see Bell making that jump, and that's going to put the pressure on him even more as they look over and see, well, Bell made the jump. It, it's your turn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, time, experience, company, all those things matter. But when you're on one of these teams that's really good, like Hendrick, at some point you got to show and prove. And you know they, they they he's familiar with his crew chief you know they have a good rapport they're from you know their days when he won a bunch of races so you know apparently their chemistry is very good I, you know maybe he just needs to improve in his racecraft uh, maybe his aggression maybe needs to be a little higher sometimes i i don't know what's missing but something isn't equaling equaling out for the talent level that we know he has I mean, could it be that general that curse of the fourth injury card the, that the fourth injury card never never seems to work right <laughs> what could it be um we've got uh rouse fenway uh with uh keselowski uh, rfk that team uh busher got them a win last year um he ran very well very consistently brad uh was up and down but at towards the end of the season you started to see the consistency uh with brad especially at bristol um do you have a bounce? Do we see a bounce back for Keselowski this year? Um, you know, last year being a year of transition, becoming an owner, trying to get all that ownership stuff set in place, and instead of worrying about just yourself and your race car, and now you got a whole team and employees and shops and all these other things to worry about. Do you think that maybe this year he settles in and the performance raises? Well, he's already starting out a hundred points better than he did last year, so he's in a much better spot. Um, yeah, I the only thing that would give me pause is is the clash where they both struggled. They both didn't even make make the main show, mm-hmm. but they looked great at speed week. So maybe it was just a function of they threw whatever they could together for the clash and focused more on the main season, which would be smart. Um, I. 
they're one of those teams that I need to see a couple more races out of before I before I have any idea what they're going to do this year. I don't think that they're going to be as as off as they were last year. As you said, it's you can prepare and prepare and prepare for a new role, but what until you're in that new role like Brad is, you don't know how your time's being divided, how you're supposed to do this and that, how much support you need. And I, I think he, he's got a better handle on that portion as well. Uh, Stuart Haas racing. Uh, we got Kevin Harvick entering his final year uh, in Cup. He's going to retire and join the booth of, up in Fox next year to give them a permanent uh, third host for their booth. They've had a kind of revolving uh, cast of characters uh, since Jeff Gordon kind of left and went back to run Hendrick. Um, we got Ryan Priest added to the mix. Kind of been like a three-year courting session with, between him and Tony Stewart, where Tony Stewart finally got his man. Eric Amarola was going to retire, but I think Smithfield Bacon said, hey, man, we'll put a little bit more in your pocket if you stay on. So he's there. And then uh, Cendric is there. Uh, oh, no, who's their fourth driver? Is it? Um, Briscoe. Yeah, Briscoe, Chase Briscoe. Um, who had an impressive year last year. I almost won the Coca-Cola 600. Um, ruffled a lot of feathers on some road courses. But, you know, when you're a rookie, you need to make a name for yourself. And he definitely did that. So, Stuart Haas, a um, little bit of a transition season for them. Um, they replaced the driver with Priest coming on. They're going to have to replace Harvick next year. Uh, what do you see for Stuart Haas racing? And uh, who do you see maybe coming out with the victories? Uh, for that team I so as I think as it's been for so many years as Harvick goes Stuart Haas goes I I think that Priest and Briscoe are still learning the ropes of Cup somewhat even though it wouldn't surprise me if either one of them won at any point but the steadying factor the one who can get the most out of their equipment at this point in time is still Kevin Harvick. So as as Harvick and Childers go, this this whole organization goes sure. at this point. And then uh, the last big team uh, that we'll kind of uh, do a review on is uh, RCR. Uh, big changes coming with Kyle Busch getting into the number eight. Uh, Austin Dillon still there in the three. Um, do they have a third car this year? I don't I think it's a part-time perhaps for Austin Hill from time to time. Okay. So, uh Richard Childress um you know with a big shot in the arm getting Kyle Bush to come over. Um I think RCR it seems like they've been on the cusp of big time stuff with Tyler Reddick. Like it seemed like he was just on the verge of busting through, but they'd have some type of pit issue or they'd have a failure or they'd have a speeding penalty. And he just couldn't ever get those stack those wins up at RCR. Um, now with Kyle Busch coming over there, you hope that those things are kind of eliminated and you can really see what RCR has as a program. My question to you is, if Kyle Busch comes over there, starts running well, wins multiple races, what kind of pressure does that then put on Austin Dillon, who has been the kind of flagship guy for RCR for a number of years, but hasn't really met that performance? 
there, yeah. It's it one, it's a stress test for our CR as an organization because if Kyle Bush gets in your equipment and struggles, it's not the driver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one thing. And also it can be nothing but good for Austin Dillon to be around Kyle Bush and see how a champion driver operates, how much detail he exacts out of every piece of the puzzle, and just generally hearing his perspective on on the craft, on each track. He may hear things about the track that he's never even noticed before. Because mm-hmm. that's one thing that um, following the sport all these years people talk about is Kyle Busch is one of the most exacting drivers out there. I, like in the realm of a Bill Elliott that he could tell you that if there was a coin on the track, if it was on heads or tails when he passed it sort of thing. Just so uh, I don't know if they're going to set the world on fire, but they're definitely going to know exactly where they stand as an organization with Kyle behind the wheel. And for Kyle, it's a brand new start, you know, more motivation and as if I, as if he needed any more and just ability to show again who he is. I think the biggest thing that's probably going to happen with RCR is that Kyle Bush is going to get a chance to maybe relax and be more comfortable. It just seemed like the last three or four years with JGR, he was really fighting to try to stay in line with the JGR kind of motto and, you know, keep everything buttoned up and be good with the media. And, you know, he's always been surly, but it seemed like in the last couple of years, he was really fighting it to try to, you know, be more the company guy. And I guess, you know, with the the negotiation coming up too, you know, you don't want to get out of sorts but I think with RCR they're gonna they're not gonna have a problem with Kyle Bush's natural personality and you know he gets around a microphone and lets loose one day you know they know how to handle it and they'll be okay with it I think and I think that that alone may be enough to kind of energize Kyle Bush and and, and get him re you know re-energized because like you said he thinks things have just got stale with JGR and as he's gotten older, that muzzle probably was probably a lot harder to to contain for him. But also, he hasn't been winning at the clip he's he's been used to. True. And I think a portion of that is he hasn't been running the support series a lot. Mm. I think the the support series cla- uh, cap on how many races you could run maybe hurt him more than we know. But he is going to run some more nationwide races this year. So maybe that helps him get back into rhythm. But I don't, it probably just coincidental that his win rate started slowing down when the support race caps came in. But he, I mean, last year, he very well could have gone winless Mm -hmm. because they wrecked in front of him for the Bristol Dirt win. He wasn't in position to take that win he, it was kind of handed to him and that's not a typical I mean uh, Las Vegas aside because he was doing well in that race but la- the last couple of years especially the one um, I can't remember if it was 2011 or 2000 
2020 where he came, it, it was Texas. It was really coming down to the end and he still hadn't won a race. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's been, it's been slow and maybe it's just the way life cycles are just in a slow cycle right now, but it, it they on track. He has not been getting as many trophies as, as he's accustomed to right. lately. Right. So uh, last year, I think we had what's like 17 different winners. I think it was. Um, I want to say when it was all said and done, it was something like 19. Yeah. Okay. 19 different winners, um, which is, I think, in the Chase era, which was a record. Um, the Chase was very exciting this year, I thought, uh, especially with, like I said, Christopher Bell kind of being the story of all the elimination races. Um, so this year, kind of, you don't have to give me an exact 10, but kind of. Give me kind of who are your strong favorites to be factors uh, all the way through this year's chase. Mm, let's see. Well, it's, since you mentioned him, Bell, Logano, Elliot, Larson, Truex, I'm going to say Bush. There is a big team I'm missing here. Nobody from Stuart House? That's where it is. Um, the four. Okay. <laughs> um, Anybody from 23? I'll put the 23 in there. Okay. I, and I just, there's got to be a breakout someone. Ricky Stidhouse. Yeah, he, he's already in. He's in. So, well, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, sure, why not? It, it, it's not, yeah, guy. But I, one of the track has cars. Flip a coin for it. Okay. <laughs> and gosh, I Blaney. There's too many good people. <laughs> um, because I've left out people. Because you're you're gonna get a a priest, and you're gonna get someone like a priest, someone who's very good at a New Hampshire, you know, somewhere he grew up on modifieds. And he's just gonna break through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get like Austin Centric at those road courses last year. Ex- exactly, uh, Briscoe at a road course, mm-hmm. Reddick at a road course. So it, it's you're gonna have one of those uh, Almondingers out there, right? Uh, he's full time so, this year, so yeah, he's going for yeah. a title. So you just have you can all, you almost have to go by race it you're going more on who you think can win multiple races mm-hmm. when you go, go to the top and yeah, Bell Logano, Elliot Larson, Bush are probably your favorites in that, that are great at all types of disciplines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if NASCAR could get a member, at least one member from every team in the playoffs, that was how. No, oh, that's it. That's ideal. <laughs> That'd be that, ideal that for them. them. If they could have one little guy, which they have in Stent House, and then all the big teams have somebody represented, and then loop back around and get like the next set of popular people from that to make up your sixteen. Uh, for TV wise, I think NASCAR would be delighted with that. I, I then it it would probably be what they want for this car. See, everyone can compete. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think last year proved that a lot with Chastain. Um, 
getting all the way to the final four i mean it took a move that nobody's ever seen or we'll see again based on the rules uh to get him there but um it just proved that hey man a team that's basically started from the ashes can with this car if they understand it can 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 go places Uh, yes and no because that was the former ganassi right so a lot of the foundation was there and on the move, Chastain said, I wouldn't even want to do it again. It hurt a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, These cars are super rigid. Yes. And I think that's probably going to be the last kind of thing of the season is, um, you know, have they improved the rear impact on these cars? Um, last year we had uh, Bush miss a lot of races and Alex Bowman uh, duking concussions uh, from rear impacts. Um, just something that we're normally not accustomed to seeing. Uh, both wrecks didn't really look that violent or as far as, you know, some wrecks that we've seen earlier and guys kind of like, man, there's no way you didn't have a concussion. And they're like, no, I'm fine. Uh, but this car, for some reason, rear impact is very, very substantial to these drivers. And uh, in the class, guys were talking about like, nope, it's still as hard as it ever was. So um, they tried to do some changes without the teams having to spend money. They tried to change things by just moving things here or there. Um, if this doesn't work, though, Next offseason, they're going to have to make those teams dig into their pockets and reconfigure that rear end to uh, to make it things safer. So um, that's a storyline that we're probably going to have to check out for just to see if we have more drivers missing a significant parts of the season with concussion. Unfortunately, they had enough wrecks to know they have data to look at now. Right, right, right. So we're coming to the grand finale. I want your prediction on who holds the big trophy at Phoenix in October at the end of the season. Okay. At the beginning of last year's um, playoffs, I picked it right. I picked Logano. <laughs> so, uh, so check back me when the playoffs come. But um, for right now, I like the trajectory Christopher Bell is on. I, I can't kind of back away from that how i i would love to see you know hamlin finally get one i'd love to see laney get there i'd love to see bubble win it why not but just for the trajectory he's on and i mean um i believe it was tony stewart who said kyle larson said said to confided in him once and said he's better than me right speaking of Christopher Bell and a lot of people believe Larson's the best out there. Right. So for Larson to say he's better than me, um, it's not something you can you it's it's something you need to consider. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm just I'm just gonna ride the again just ride whose trajectory looks looks really good right now and say Christopher Bell. Logano won the championship, but I think in the racing industry and the racing circles, everybody was more impressed with Christopher Bell throughout the plate, the the check, the getting into the chase and throughout the playoffs themselves, even more impressed with him than Logano winning the championship. So I think that, like you said, that momentum definitely should uh, carry on into this next year. And uh, yeah, watch out. It could be, you know, he could get up there to a six or seven win season 
Uh, easy. Uh, one last nugget that I had about the Daytona 500 that really kind of hits home um, is that we're a full generation in, uh, beyond this is there is nobody in that race that competed against Dale Earnhardt. Yes, last year was that. The last year was Kurt Busch, and he was the last one. Yep, he's the last. He was the last one. So we basically got two generations removed now from Dale Earnhardt, and it just seems so weird to say that. And that's that, you know, just having a link to the Earnhardts with one at least being on the track. So it was weird a few years ago after Dale Jr. retired, there wasn't an Earnhardt in the race. Now there's nobody who can say that they raced against him. So just shows you how, man, you know, time keeps moving on, sports evolve, and, you know, those heroes and people that are so instrumental to us are now, you know, moving up to almost 25 years out of the sport. That's crazy. I remember the sadness when there wasn't a petty in the field anymore. And it was layered because obviously it was supposed to be Adam. Adam was supposed to be there. And when Kyle finally stepped aside, it was like it that made it hit home even more that, oh, there was supposed to be more of this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just moving forward, I'm looking forward to this season. I think this new car has uh, really changed the game um, because the Hendricks and the Gibbs and the Stuart Haas and all those teams with all those big notebooks and all that money had to come back to be with everybody else at ground zero. And now we're going to really see who is the best team now that everybody's had a year underneath their belt and figure out what tricks and and uh, you know shortcuts they've kind of learned with this car going into a second season. So I'm really looking forward to see who starts fast and who kind of picks up um, and find speed during the season. I thought that, like you said, Toyota started out so bad last year. And then all of a sudden, kind of like they do every year, we get to the summer months. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that their car, that they just have a bunch of guys who like to drive loose race cars or if their tech department just kind of gets in a lab and goes to work in the spring, but they always get fast in the summer. I used, I used to be tangentially associated with Toyota racing for the record. And so uh, it's basically they start, they get out to their, their center in California and start working through everything. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to come back. Right. 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 Cause yeah, it definitely shows. Cause every summer, man, you get to the summer months, no matter how they're running in the spring and the beginning of the season, you know, once June hits and that temperature starts rising, here come those Toyotas and they're usually fast all the way through to the yeah. end of the season. So, so literally they start the season, you get a little bit, they're out on the West coast. The information goes to the center and they get, get things going, get things going, get them going. They get their round of revisions essentially in like, April to May, and then you see their jump. Right, right. That, that <laughs> makes total sense. That makes total sense. So, there you go, man. Insight that you can only get here on Know the Score from the inside of Toyota Racing. So, no, no, no. Tangentially associated. Never was. <laughs> never got inside. Well, never got inside. As close as I'll <laughs> ever be to it. So, I'm considering you an insider. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's our NASCAR preview. Miss Renee thinks that Christopher Bell is going to be the one holding the big trophy this year. He's going to break out and uh, and kind of start his trajectory to being one of the stars and faces of not only Toyota, but NASCAR. So be on the lookout for Christopher Bell this year, ladies and gentlemen. 
At this point, Miss Renee, I'm going to turn it over to you, ma'am, for your shout outs and thank yous. Um, just thank you again for having me on. It was a lot of fun and hopefully we'll get to do it again. <laughs> Oh, yes, most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, thank you for being able to join me here and uh, talk about some racing. I'm very excited to get the season going and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get some uh, races in this year, cover uh, the 600 again, a couple of races at Richmond. Uh, might try to dab and go to the Oval maybe this year, the Roval, excuse me, uh, this year. Uh, but we'll just have to see how things work out with my schedule. But yeah, we'll definitely be uh, bringing you more consistent NASCAR coverage each and every week. I'm going to try to do a race recap uh, of every race this season and uh, going forward on the score. So that should be a lot of fun. So until next Sunday, when we talk about what happened at Fontana, I'm your host, Don DeLaRente, for my co-host, Miss Renee. And now you know the score.